try to kill us, but my village too strong. Long live the people. Here we go again with the bullshit you want. Long live the people. We have all these mixed blood people all across the country. We cannot exclude them. There's nothing wrong with being Red River Metis. We are all Metis. There was an attempt to define Metis. And we said no. There's Métis from Red River. What's wrong with Métis from someplace else? And they were also Métis people. Uniting our people is at a very sad state. We are all Métis. Alright, welcome to the Jig is Up. And with me as always is a guy that proves that not everyone with a beard like Santa is a happy jolly guy. Jason, how's it going? <laughs> well, I'm pretty happy and jolly this week. I haven't had to do much but eat. Well, that's, that's the best thing about Christmas, isn't it? Yeah, I think I'm going to have to buy a bigger set of pants. <laughs> oh, that's a good sign. That's a good sign. So here we are at the, the end of the year. We're here. Uh, this is our final episode of 2017, and we're going to do a bit of a year in review. So it's been uh, hell hard to believe eh? a year already. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a roller coaster. That's for sure. So. <laughs> and from my news feed the last couple of days it doesn't show any signs of slowing down oh no there was a post i guess today about some guy who's launched a human rights suit against the mnc and i can't even keep up with the comments and stuff so that'll be for next year <laughs> <laughs> started off with the bang yeah absolutely there's never ending things to talk about um so i wanted to start this episode by thanking a few people who have supported our Métis Youth Camp through either donations of equipment or gear or supporting us by sharing us on their website and just uh, generally supporting the idea of the camp. So I wanted to thank uh, the Painted Warriors, uh, the Mohican Trails, and Rainy Creek Ranch, all here in Alberta for their support of the camp. And we're going to put uh, some information up them on for, about them on the camp website at www.sagittawacamp.com. And we'll post the link in the show description for anybody who's interested. But there's some great uh, organizations here in Alberta that, that are uh, helping us and supporting us. So we want to make sure that we, we thank them for that. And Absolutely. Big shout out to those guys. Yeah, for sure. So hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have more partnerships like that with uh, organizations. I think Painted Warriors and Mohican Trails, is they're run by Indigenous uh, and I believe they're First Nations and Métis people. So... And then Rainy Creek Ranch is uh, just by Sylvan Lake, and they actually run a Métis um, uh, mountaineering course, so which is very exciting. I I wish I could do it. Yeah, I'm yeah, too me old. as well. That looks like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's we're out of the age range though, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. Us old geezers don't get to go. <laughs> That's right. We miss out on all the fun. Yeah. All right, so let's start off with the beginning of this year. Uh, I think one of the first episodes we did was when we, we found out about the news of a Métis Summit in January of 2017. And it was between the Métis Nation organizations and the federal government. And I don't even know if, I don't know if you even remember that, Jason, but... Uh, oh, I do, sadly. <laughs> I, I remember it being quite... Uh, everybody was up in arms, like, when is this? Who's invited? What's going on? Although I don't think it should be any surprise as to who was invited, which was the MNC... <laughs> Who actually ended up going, but you can't guess. <laughs> yeah. And there was a whole lot of uh, promises, uh, promises for future talks. There was lots of smiling, a lot of, uh, you know, picture taking, 
and I think that was really the takeaway from that meeting, uh, as far as I know. What do you think? Yeah, that that was a start off the year really laying a uh, framework for the government was only really planning to consult the people it paid. Absolutely. Why would you want to talk to anybody else? Yeah, the only opinions I ever like to hear are the ones I'm paying for. Yeah. Funny <laughs> enough, and they always which align is, with me. That's right. Which is which in my case is none. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, I can't afford that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, that was the that was the big kickoff for the year, and that was our very first episode. I think we talked about that, and uh, I mean, I think that was kind of a running theme throughout the year was the the government and the Métis Nation and all the MOUs that were signed and agreements signed and frameworks that were signed and more agreements and more frameworks for the frameworks of the MOUs, and eventually it all boiled down to I don't know really actually what actions were taken, but there was a lot of smiling picture taking and a lot of promises to have more talks well and that that really did set the frame framework and set up for the rest of the year where the government spent a lot of time and we spent a lot of time talking about it um them like you said running around signing agreements having meetings um you know doing a lot of selfies and picture taking for publicity but at the end of the day now that we're rolling out of 2017 into 2018 you know we can ask the question what really got done no, exactly. Um, and I think that's where we're sitting today. And, you know, I'm sure if we would have been doing this podcast in 2015 and 2016, we probably would have been saying the same thing is like, well, what actually happened and what changed? I, I don't know. I don't know where, how much further ahead we really are as, as a Métis people. Um, but, you well, know. Well, we got all those agreements that look really good in those frame certificates hanging on the wall. Well, that's right. And what's really important is that, uh, you know, the president of the MNC gets a personal phone call from the prime minister when they go to split up uh, a, a government organization. I mean, that's really what's important here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I think that was the biggest action item that came out of that. Um, and then we kind of moved on. There was a Daniel summit in Edmonton talking about, uh, yep. and this was actually where we got a lot of the sound clips for the intro, but it was talking about, um, you know, the the Daniels decision and what does that mean to Métis people? That was kind of the intent for it. And I remember I remember listening to the, the, the live feeds and stuff like that and listening to people like Maria Campbell and Gabriel Daniels and, and just a plethora of other people saying, we need to end this Métis identity battle. We need to stop fighting this fight. We need to accept the fact that there's Métis from other parts of the country they have equal right to be Métis and claim Métis, so please stop doing that. And then a certain non-Métis academic went went on right after Maria Campbell, maybe an hour later, to talk about his Eastern Ethnogenesis paper that he was writing. And, uh, you know, that was the first taste for me of really how disrespectful this whole conversation is to our elders, to, you know, people we, the respected people within the community who have lived Métis their entire lives and lived through some crap. And we just totally discount everything they have to say. So that was my first taste of that. I don't know if that well, was... Well, and, and that really, that was another, I think, a, a real good uh, episode that helped lay the groundwork for this conversation that we've been having through the course of the year. And that is the difference between what elders say and founding members of the Métis Nation organization such as Tony Belcourt who is also there who went on to say the same thing 
and we have really laid the foundation for on one side of this conversation we have academia supporting the nationalistic movement through the Métis National Council and we have elders supporting the idea of a united people group which are the Métis and this is the the conversation I've been having for most of the year. Absolutely, and it's a conversation that doesn't end. I mean, the census came out later later in the year, just a few months ago, and it just ignited a, a fury of just activity. Uh-oh. And, you know, for me, it goes, I look at these academics, and I think, you know, for a lot of these people that are the academics, they, they've never actually lived through some of the things that they've read lots of books about. And so for me, when you discount people like Maria Campbell, who grew up on a road allowance, and you're discounting what she has to say because you're you've read in books that it's different. I think that's where the you've gone wrong. Um, you're discounting people's well, lived experience. Yeah, exactly. F- for yeah. colonial paperwork, that's what you've done. Yeah, when you can do a follow up and you have a founding member of the Métis Nation of Ontario, Tony Belcourt, stand up and and unequivocally talk about Métis everywhere, and yet these academics turn around and contradict that perspective i don't know this is the dichotomy that we're now faced with as a people well exactly and then later i guess it was a little bit later in the year um about mid-year maybe that they the metis nation ontario came out and said no no we have more communities that we recognize as metis and they're i I think two of them were in quebec right on the border and then so began the fight between the mnc and their own organ own provincial organization about who is and who's not metis yeah, the Great Divide. And, and yeah, so now they got their own internal shitstorm going on over identity politics. And, you know, you have people coming flat out inside that structure saying, you know, that they're completely misguided and wrong, the, the guys in Ontario. Absolutely. And, and what I think for me, really, too, with a lot of these people that are claiming all this Métis identity, what I've noticed about the people online, and we talked about this in one of our last episodes about social media, is it a lot of the people that speak so vehemently about this Métis identity and this nationalism, they have no iron in the fire, well, a lot of them, which means they have no, they're not even in the game, they, they have no benefit to doing it, they have nothing to gain or lose, um, and yet they're so nationalistic. And then there's people that are just, they, they just want to rail on about it, but they don't actually want to be involved in their community, they don't really want to you know, go outside and do anything, Métis. They just want to rally about Métis identity online. And I think that's, for me, one of the takeaways. I've noticed, for me, my desire to even talk about this Métis identity thing is online or with anybody outside of this podcast really has just decreased substantially over the last few months. Because to me, it's kind of a, a redundantly dumb conversation. Well, it's become, and I think that's, you know, going back to, to the original podcast, that's what that... Daniel's, uh, you know, expose really laid the groundwork for. And you're seeing all this time later now towards the end of the year, we're really seeing people only fall into one or two camps. They fall into people who who either have uh, something to do with nationalism and that they got a paycheck on the line, like a lot of these university guys who are interested in publishing their next paper to get their next book deal or tenure at a university. Or there are people who don't have any skin in the game. It really seems those are the kinds of people really attracted to the nationalistic agenda. And and it's really put into contrast when you go back and you re-listen to those original elders talking at that, that uh, meeting that went on at Edmonton there about how they feel Métis identity works. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, I I think that's, uh, I mean, I know that that's been a running theme now for, I what, since about 1983. Um, so <laughs> uh, it's not like this Métis identity thing is going to go away anytime soon. We're going to see that next year and the year after. But uh, it seems to be this nationalistic idea is starting to, uh, I don't know if it's just me, but it seems like it's almost gaining momentum. Um, but at the same time, it's gaining momentum with people that aren't, really that involved in their community and i don't know why that seems to resonate with people like that but i guess it does i think i think i see it the other way around i look at it a lot like someone who's got a handful of sand and they realize that the sand is slipping through their fingers and they're trying to close it onto something that's quickly being eroded and i think that's much the way this nationalistic conversation is going when you have elders talk out about maintaining these people are becoming very vocal, very adamant, very, you know, let's face facts, very violent in a lot of their conversation and the words they use towards other uh, other people, uh, because they know that this perspective isn't isn't enduring. It's not standing. It's not, you know, holding the the smell test. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you could, certainly could be right. Absolutely. I hope I'm right. <laughs> Oh I, no, you can't be right. Well, but you are the professor, so you know I gotta, I gotta give you that. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> uh, so after you know we move on from the Daniels conference, I think that was in early, that was mid January or something like that too, maybe early February. Um, we kind of went on, uh, you know, we talked about things like um, membership reviews and two tier Métis and and using mm-hmm. Powley as a tool for the government. And what's interesting, I thought, was when I did the when I went back to the past episodes and I looked at them, we were talking about the I think it was the Métis Nation of Ontario doing a Harvester Card membership review. I think it was sometime like February or March that that news came out that they were going to review all their Harvester cards and possibly people were going to lose their Harvester card if they didn't have all their paperwork in control. And then fast forward a few months uh, till near the end of the year here, and it was announced that the Métis Nation of Ontario was looking at doing a complete membership review of of their whole membership. And so I thought it was interesting how membership review in these organizations seems to be a running theme as well. It starts off with just the harvesters, then obviously it expanded into everybody. And we're talking about people losing their Métis, you know, status, if you want to call it that, or Métis card after years of having it and harvesters that have had it now no longer are harvesters like and this is the stuff that drives me crazy because i don't know how you can be something then take it away then give it back then take it away like this isn't a ball we're not playing catch here um but that was kind of a running theme definitely and it brought up that whole issue that uh we've seen that the mna was talking about in their membership again that played into that and that's the idea of is it a membership card or is it a citizenship card yeah absolutely Absolutely, and and the I noticed like the M and A changed the terminology to citizenship card, but you know what what does that mean? Like, how can you be a citizen of something if they can just randomly or arbitrarily take away your citizenship? Yeah. Well, imagine that that you apply. Uh, you know, I got my ten year passport uh, with Canada, and imagine that if next year they gave me a letter saying they were going to review my passport to see if I was still eligible. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> So crazy, crazy, crazy. Well, it is, and it, I don't know. It just doesn't lend itself to um, a very, you know, it doesn't give me a whole lot of confidence in their governance structure. Huh. 
or even even for the poor membership you know how can you how you're dependent on that being your citizenship card and that's you know validation that you're part of the nation and every year i mean we had a whole year in ontario where in early february and then towards the end of the year they talk about how they're going to review the membership how crazy is that oh exactly exactly um Sorry, to everybody listening, I have a bit of a cough, so I'm just going through coughing fits here now. Um, <laughs> but that's just it. I mean, we they did the reviews here in Alberta. They're doing the reviews in Ontario. I'm sure all the other places will be doing reviews. And, I mean, it's ridiculous. You can't be consider yourself a nation and then do a review of all your citizens. And because of somebody not having, you know, the right signature on the right line of paperwork, they're not a citizen anymore? Like, come on. that's It's ridiculous. Yeah, but and then uh, you know a lot of the other things too, like uh, using Pauli as a tool for the government. I mean, we've seen uh, the the Métis Nation organizations use Pauli as a tool. That's what they're doing these membership reviews based on, because they only want to represent rights-bearing Métis, and the rest can, I guess, kick sand. Uh, being culturally represented, it doesn't matter. As long if you don't have rights there, you can't prove your Pauli rights right now. We don't want you. So that's, I don't know, those were driving themes of that whole review process. It was. That really laid the foundation uh, for the idea of a two-tier Métis system. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which is very similar to what you have in First Nations right now. You have status and non-status. I mean, it's yep. a very, and, and it's a very colonized viewpoint of who your people are. And, I mean, there's no other way to well, say so- that horribly colonized in the fact that an organization that claims to represent Métis people would adopt that perspective on its own people and then choose to I mean basically let's be honest choose only to represent what they would consider first class citizens yeah it's 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 the worst form of discrimination against your own people in the form of classism absolutely and and, you know I that's the what I I, what I liked about um, in the most recent um, reveal that they're going to do a citizenship review, the Métis Nation of Ontario actually had uh, like lawyers write them a letter saying, you know, if you do this, you're, you're looking at possibly a, a class action lawsuit for all the people that lose their membership. Um, <clears throat> like it's just not something that you legally can just arbitrarily do. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, where are we, what's the point of all of this? And what's the point of, of, being an organization to represent people, if you're just going to kick people aside with no desire, like no care, no compassion, no no desire to see your people do better, just, oh, well, you're not rights-bearing, so you don't benefit us, so see you later. You're done. We don't care. And and that's what yeah. these guys are doing. That's what it seems like, and that's what people feel like. It's terrible. Well, in, in, I mean, your and I's opinion is just that, but when you have a lawyer... And a group of lawyers write the organization and tell them from an outside perspective that they could face a cla- uh, a lawsuit from this. What does that really tell you about the accountability and transparency of this organization to its membership, to the very people who it's supposed to represent? Exactly. Well, and what's the point of all of this if you're just going to do that to people? What like what are you? What is your point of an as an organization? Is it just to play political games with? just so you can get fight over funding and get some extra dollars from the government? Is that the whole point of this now? So I, It sure seems like it. More money for less people. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that was uh, kind of a dis- disheartening, uh, you know, those, those, those topics were kind of disheartening, but they're running themes throughout the year. I mean, almost every episode we did touched on those themes in some way, shape or form. Um, you know, a, a lot of those themes kind of creep up in almost every aspect of these organizations and how they do things and what they do and, and the decisions they make. I mean, <clears throat> you know, getting a bus to drive around and sign up new members. <laughs> like, meanwhile, people are living in poverty and struggling to get by and don't have health care. So it, it's just ridiculous decisions like that. A, a million dollars a year spent on travel when, you know, you have people living in poverty. It's, you know, very much colonized. Well, and then what's funny is now they're taking, you, you see them spend those hundreds of thousands of dollars of monies on that motorhome to go consult with uh, Métis people in Manitoba. And then Christmas times roll around and, and now they're loading up that uh, massive RV with donated food to drive around and distribute it to, um, you know, to our, our poorest citizens. <laughs> when if you just sold the RV in the first place, you probably have enough money to give a lot of people a pretty nice Christmas. Well, exactly. You know, and, and that, I hate that stuff. I hate it when they do things like anybody does stuff like that, like as, as though they're some sort of heroes because they have a million-dollar RV and they're willing to drive around and deliver food that was donated. They didn't even buy the damn food. So you're not a hero. Just because you have a bus doesn't mean that you're a hero here. Um, yeah. I mean, it was a good thing, but, yeah, like you said, and they could have saved a, a lot of people's Christmases by just not having the bus and spending that money elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, from there we, uh, let's see, we kind of moved from there. Uh, we talked about the colonization of these in organizations. Um, you know, how they're, are they even following art- the articles of UNDRIP? Um, you know, things like that, which obviously they're not. They're failing on every on every level on those a- aspects. Um, and then we, we kind of get into uh, First Nation relationships about the middle of the year. Uh, there was a fight between, well, not really a fight, but a disagreement of words between an Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs chief and the Métis, or Manitoba Métis Federation president on an air flight, on a, on a flight uh, about, you know, the Manitoba Métis Federation signing energy deals for land that isn't theirs. And, you know, the, the, the catchphrase there was, well, you guys don't own the land. And uh, that was it. So there was that bit of a fight, and we've talked many times about the relationship with First Nations, with these organizations, and how bad it is. Yeah, when I read that one, I, I nearly spit my coffee out across the table. I, I couldn't believe that that any Métis person, uh, regardless of your background, could actually say that in any kind of seriousness. Like, that was a real thing you were going to do face-to-face with a First Nations relations. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I literally, I, I thought I was being punked. Well, that's just it. But again, you know, we go back to the the academics who disrespect people like Maria Campbell and and, and the elders in our community. I mean, this is just a, an absolute disrespect to you know First Nations, First Nations uh, leaders, uh, and and the First Nations territory that you're in. And you, you, so that seems to be a running theme as well is that disrespect for others. And, uh, you know, I just can't get on board with organizations, political parties, whatever, that just absolutely show a d- disregard for people. I, I just can't get on board with that. That's right. 
Um, now, do you, now, do you remember what happened in episode seven? Oh, look at you. No, I don't remember. Why would I remember? Well, that's when we had our very first guest on the show. Oh, okay. Oh, look at you. <clears throat> now, yeah. Now, do you remember who that guest was? I believe it was Joanne Brissett. That's right. She was the first person who felt safe enough to come on our show and talk to us. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I still don't know to this day if that was wisdom or what. <laughs> well, we and we I remember we had a lot of technical issues with that uh, as we were recording. So that was a very interesting. I think we lost you about three quarters of the way through. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, so that was a fun in episode to do. That was a learning episode. And then, and then, not long long after that, you did a a pretty big interview. Yes, we talked to um, Robert Falcon Ouellette, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, um, I was majorly impressed that he took the time to uh, to talk to you. Yeah, well, it, it's interesting because it's it's very hard to actually to get politicians to come on to a recorded show that's not live that can be edited. I don't, I I just can't imagine why. But most of them have a hang up about that, and. Uh, <laughs> Um, but he, he actually did it with no problem and it was actually quite simple to, to get a hold of him and get him to agree to come on. So it was actually a really good episode. I really, I learned a lot more about him than I ever knew. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a fun episode to do. That was my, my first actual real, like, you know, interview interview. So, and I'm not a, a broadcaster dude. So that was fun. That was like almost like 60 minutes Métis style. <laughs> He's something like that. I, I don't know if it was quite that high quality, but yeah, no, it was uh, it was fun to do. But uh, yeah, And we actually had quite a few guests on that were really fun. It was really fun to talk to him and meet him. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we had like Shelly Weird, who does the Women Warrior thing. Uh, we yep. had Jesse Short, who's a, just an amazing uh, artist and performer. And uh, Joe Pimlot talking about Métis politics uh you know guy mm-hmm. who's going to be possibly running for election here so yeah and then of course how can you forget colleen klein that was i just can't i still think about her all the time yeah that was an amazing show it was that was probably one of my uh one of my funnest interviews because uh, you know being in alberta it's almost like you know she she really was a celebrity so <laughs> Well, then she did a lot uh, while her and her husband were, were in politics to do things for the Métis people. So uh, there's a strong connection there. Well, and, you know, and for Indigenous altogether, I mean, they, they started a, a women's, Indigenous women's shelter here in Calgary uh, called Oaton Healing or Oton Women's Shelter, um, which is still going today. <clears throat> and she was on the original board for that. Um, and she did so many things and, and actually Ralph, uh, he passed, I think it was the first legislation in Canada to repatriate items back to the nations, the first nations that, or to the people that those items belong to. And, yeah. uh, that was honestly, I think that was 19 or no, that was two year in 2000, I think it was when that passed. And, uh, you know, literally thousands and thousands of items have been returned because of that. So that's pretty impressive stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, very. I mean, you look how hard we have uh, still today to make sure that that happens. And so they really were ahead of the, the curve on that one. Absolutely. And I, I don't even know if the other provinces still to this day have legislation that's the same or, or even similar. And uh, I know that the NDP recently were trying to uh, improve it or make it stronger. So 
that's something that uh, I think Alberta, you know, it's kind of a feather in our cap that at least we're trying to return items back to the original people that should have them. Uh, so it was, it was really great to talk to her. It was really great to meet her uh, and her daughter and, and that whole thing. So that was, it was, it was a really interesting conversation and she's got a lot of, a lot of things to talk about. I got, man, she's got stories. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Yeah. But, you know, and that's, I think that's one of the things going into the new year that I want to really work more, work on even more is uh, bringing people into the podcast and having guests on. Uh, we're working on a unit, you know, having some university students come in and talk about things and challenges that they face on the show. And uh, I think for the, for the upcoming 2018, I think I want to have more, more, more kind of guest panels come on and talk about these topics uh, even if it's Métis identity and things like that, just more people talking about them and get more viewpoints coming through, I think, for the new year. I think I think that's the point of why we started this. We talked about it quite a bit, is to to be able to broaden the conversation and give people the platform to to engage and have their voice heard. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, otherwise, what what is happening? You know, we're just... Uh, <laughs> are we any better than the keyboard warriors if we're not engaging yeah. people and... And getting people to open up, I think that's the thing. I think for so many years, we were told not to talk. We were told not to talk about being Métis. It was a bad thing. It was, you know. And now I think it's it's time we stood up. It's time we all started talking about it. And the more we talk about it, the better we're gonna, the better off we're gonna be. That's right. I really, that's why uh, one of my favorite shows was the one where we were able to have uh, Seb on. Oh yes, yeah, that was a fun episode. Uh, man, the, yeah. some of these guests, you know, I think that's the thing is some of, there's so much knowledge out there. Um, and I know a lot of people don't agree with, with Seb, but whatever. Um, th- the fact is, is he has a lot of knowledge, just like, you know, Robert Falcon who led has his knowledge. And, and I think for me, that's the fun part about talking to these people is they've lived a different life. They've lived different experiences and to actually get to understand some of what they've gone through or what they've experienced. It's, it's a lot of fun. Well, I think for me, that was one of the great things about that episode, uh, talking to him, is that there's a wealth of knowledge. And, and whether you agree or you don't, um, it's the ability to have that conversation and to have that open you know, dialect, back and forth dialogue, that we build these bridges and gain this understanding before we just keep throwing you know, everything that, doesn't, uh, that I dislike out the window. You know what I mean? And so I, I really appreciate him coming on the show and and I know he's a busy guy, so that was a lot of fun to have him on, and and uh, it was very enlightening for me. Absolutely, and and you're right. I think it's uh, it's really important that we get different viewpoints. Um, uh, you, you know, just even, even if you slightly disagree or whatever, but just to get those different viewpoints and and to try to understand why or where they're coming from, whoever you're talking to, um, because that's the whole point of having discussions is not to fight about who's right and who's wrong. But it's to share ideas. And if you both walk away going, well, I, it didn't really change my mind, but at least I understand that person a little better. I think that's kind of the whole point of this. It's just to understand different perspectives a little better. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <clears throat> I think one of the biggest things uh, that we, you know, kind of did this year too was that we accidentally <laughs> kind of fell onto a story of a community here in Alberta that... Uh, you know, we did an episode about, you know, something fishy going on and from there it kind of <laughs> snowballed. Um, and it was like a can of worms, you know, the more you, you dig into it, the more there is there. And, uh, 
I don't know how how do you feel today about the the town of Conklin and the stories that we've had come out of there, Jason? Well, I think it's been enlightening. I know it's been a real eye opener for me. Um, I think uh, it was really amazing for us to have the opportunity to kind of uh, be able to make some of their voices heard. Um, and to this day, to be able to go up there and just participate with them on a, a personal level has uh, been, you know, a real good thing for me. It's uh, something I really take to heart. And then you see the challenges that Métis people are still facing today in different communities, not just my community or, or where you're at, you know, in, in Calgary there, but, you know, and uh, the ongoing issues that we're, we're working with them on is, is uh, pretty monumental. Absolutely. And I, you know, for me, I think one of the things that kind of was eye opening was, you know, I sit in Calgary and, and I, you know, I got my complaints about the way, um, you know, the lack of engagement and things that go on in Calgary. But you read newspaper articles and stuff and you read about these uh, industry agreements between, you know, the Métis in this area and the industry. And you think, oh, wow, they must be doing, <laughs> that's great. They must be doing pretty well. And I think for me that was one of the kind of the eye-opening ex- moment was when you go up there and you realize those agreements are between and the industry and the Métis Nation and not the local people. And while the theory is that the local people are going to benefit from these, they actually often don't. And, yeah, you know, I think it's one of those things that everybody just assumes because it's the oil industry it's the, you know, the oil sands up there. I mean, it's the gold mine for the oil industry up there. So these guys are just be rolling in money. And, you know, how do you start a fire there? Oh, you just roll up $100 bills and throw it in the fire. You know, like, I think that's the impression a lot of people get. And when you go to those communities, it, it isn't like that at all. It's actually very much the opposite. Um, but what was that big, big eye-opener for me was when we went up there and we talked to them about how a lot of their resource development deals happen is they do happen with the Métis Nation and the only people who get to go work there are the people that have the businesses and the wherewithal to fulfill those contracts. And so a lot of times uh, if the local people don't have the proper training, they're not given the training or the opportunity and a lot of times to upgrade to to actually reap the real rewards if you're going to get a job out of that yeah. and that was a real eye-opener to me is how little autonomy and little input the local community and community members have into these deals and how it benefits them directly and how top heavy that MA structure is here in alberta well and i for me it goes back to this like, concept of this nationalism this metis identity battle um <clears throat> when you look at the lack of autonomy and lack of control that this community has for its own future. Because the Métis Nation has decided they're the supreme leaders and supreme beings on all things Métis. But yet those local communities are suffering. They're, they're starving. They're, they're living in the dark with, with no running water. Meanwhile, you're in Edmonton making you know over, you know, over six figures a year, traveling around on hundreds of thousands of taxpayer dollars, where is that support for the local community? So to these people arguing this nationalistic idea and how the Métis Nation is the best thing ever, and uh, <clears throat> it's great. Go to some communities like Conklin and tell me how good that the Métis Nation has been for them. Tell me how, how good that nationalistic idea has been for them because they haven't benefited at all. Um, yeah, and like you say, and they're they're really in the breadbasket of resource development. If there was a job to be had, 
a deal to make and to be signed and to prosper over resource development, they're it. And yet they've been totally sidelined. Yeah, and, absolutely. And left out in the cold. And that really shows, to me, that speaks volumes to how broken the relationship is between the uh, hierarchy and the organization and the grassroots people. Yeah. And we're fortunate because we've kind of, you know, we kind of fell into this story and I, I just happened to be up in that area for my job. And, and so I was able to go there and do a podcast with them and get to know, know them a bit. And I, I have to say, uh, one of the other big surprises for me was how much control they're actually taking for themselves. Um, they've started their own organization. They've started their own group and they're, they're, they're at a point where, you know, they're, they're wondering what their next step is, but they've taken a lot of steps that I don't think a lot of Métis people realize they can even take. And so I got to give huge props to the, the community members up there for taking the steps to speak out, to not, not only just speak out, but then take the next step of actually forming your own group and your own kind of coalition of people to try to organize to, to do something, to start the process in making change for yourself. And, and the fact that they're willing to take that control back, um, I think is impressive. And that was, that was a huge thing for me. And a, a kind of a sign of hope or optimism, I guess, in the whole story. Yeah, well, yeah, that by far was the, the uh, real, I think the real hope message for that community is the fact that they have uh, strong community leaders. And like you said, who are willing to take it back and assert local control. And that's what you and I have talked about at great length is, you know, community of control, autonomous communities, you know, the community first initiative that we started, you know, through, through our organization. And I think that's, you know, was a real, you know, kudos to them. They should all sign up and take a bow because I think we need more Métis communities and people to come forward to be able to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that was, uh, and that was, for me, that story was kind of the game changer on a lot of topics. It really put into perspective the I guess the Métis identity battle online and things like that. So I think that's why I've kind of lost my enthusiasm to, to battle with people is like, you know what, it, this doesn't matter. What matters is people actually and how they live. And um, so it's, it, I think it put things into perspective for me. In, in all well, it, it really, it did. In all, yeah, absolutely. In all honesty, once you're there and you see that, it really shows the absolute uh, dichotomy between what people talk about online and what people are doing in the real world. Yeah. And there's a lot, you know, as we rounded out the year, boy, we see a lot of, a lot of keyboard warriors, a lot of people with skin in the game financially who want to use identity politics to their own advantage. But when you get out in the community, man, that, that shit, that talk, that this does got no traction. No, and in fact, it's not even on the, it's not even in the minds and it's not even on the tongues of the people living in these communities because it, it has such little relevance to their actual situation. Um, and even going forward in, in within Calgary and within talking to Métis people in, in other communities who, you know, maybe aren't facing the same levels of poverty or, or, um, or stifling of, of jobs that's happening in Conklin. But uh, I just, so many Métis people I talk to, they don't want to talk about politics. They don't want to talk about the Métis identity. It's their, they think it's ridiculous. Uh, it's, they're so tired of listening to people talk about and f how, you know, you, if you're from the East, you can't be Métis. And if you're from here, you can't be like, I just run across so many people that are so tired of this conversation. So, you know, how, what does it do for anybody? It doesn't do anything. 
Well, and that's really what that that whole story and that whole trip up there really really shows, though. Yeah. Is when you when you get out in the real world, you step out from behind your computer board. There, this whole conversation about Métis identity and all the politics that go on is actually not only not doing any good; it's causing harm. It is. It really is. And you know, I've I firmly believe that the government likes us talking about these things. That they like us fighting with First Nations about whose land it is. Uh, I, I think they like this divisiveness because it. it it moves the ball around from the real goal. Um, you know, it, it keeps us distracted from what's really important and where we really need to be fighting. And they can kind of sit back and wait till the next government gets elected and go, well, we did, we did some great things because we funded this and that. But at the end of the day, nothing really dramatically changed for Métis people. And I, I think, honestly, that's where the government likes us to be. Well, I think that's right. As long as the government can keep funding the organizations it likes and keep making backroom deals and those organizations can stay completely unaccountable to the membership, the government's happy. And the people who are getting paid are happy because they don't actually have to answer for what they're doing. Yeah. And so they can all stay employed and they can make sure that they get paid and the government can make sure that it's doing its best to reduce all of its responsibilities to us Métis people. And so for the government, it's a win-win. And for the people who are hanging on to their jobs for another few years, it's good. And for the rest of us, well, we're just still living on the roadside. Yeah, exactly. And another example of where I think a lot of this divisiveness and this, this vitriol on online or, or with these certain topics like identity and, and nationhood and who, where do you get your rights from and this kind of thing, they're really distractors from things like what's happening in Conklin, what's happening in a lot of other communities. But also uh, this year we've seen Métis excluded again from a very important thing, the 60 scoop set, um, you know, decision. We were excluded previously from the TRC. We're now excluded from the 60 scoop until, and the government's defense, and until they get around and settling every single lawsuit from everybody else in the country about the 60s scoop, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000 scoops. And when they get finished with all those lawsuits, they'll probably get around to Métis at that point. <laughs> so, um, but that was another thing I think we, we're, we're not asking the right questions is why, aren't, why isn't there more being done ahead of time to get us included? Rather, we're fighting about these divisive, you know, useless topics. Um, so, you know, it's another example where we're, we're left out. Yeah, left out, left behind, sidelined, all because of these these paid, you know, basically lackeys, um, the great cartel that hogs so much talking space and so much money. They've allowed all these things to go on on their watch. And I, I just, you know, and we've talked about that too. You know, at what point do IT people get fed up? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and exactly. When do we take action? When do we stand up and say enough's enough? Like, come on. If you can't get us in, if you can get the prime, brag about the prime minister calling you when he breaks up, you know, INAC, why can't the prime minister call you when they're thinking of doing something about 60 scoop and say, hey, you guys want to get in on this? Like, come on, you, you got to step up to the game here and start playing. You can't just or does sit that, on the Does sidelines. that phone, I, I wonder, that's a good point though, because, you know, we might have missed that. Maybe that phone that he has only works one way. He can only get calls in on it. Oh, that's he, true. He can't. He can't call out. Maybe he can't call the prime minister back on that phone. It's a blocked number. 
Maybe it's a special yeah. phone that was put in by CSIS yeah. just yeah, right. for that so, prime minister's phone call. You know, so the prime minister can call him, you know, because he's at the lapdog, right? So you got to be able to get your lapdog anytime you want, but you sure don't want that lapdog to pick up the phone and bark back at you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. That's, that would be, uh, yeah, that'd be dangerous almost. Now, if that does it the way it is works, I'd literally like to get that on camera because that would be a good show. <laughs> yeah, I, I really do want to see that that phone, the, the special you know. the special prime minister phone. Yeah, because obviously it doesn't work in reverse because you think once you knew you were getting excluded, me all Métis people that you represent are booted to the sidelines. You might pick up that phone and you might make that call. Maybe, you know. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe, hey, maybe you can't because it doesn't dial out. That's right. Well, and I find it interesting how they never tell anybody ahead of time that Métis are going to be excluded from these things. And why? Like, are are you afraid that Métis might actually stand up and maybe, you know, protest it at INAC offices or, or actually take some actual action in order to get their voices heard? Like, what, what are you doing, man? Like, come on. But I think that highlights a lot of the big theme that we saw this year is that constant question too, though, is, is the question is what are they doing? And then we see right across the communities across Canada is what isn't happening, you know? And we see the, the, you know, through the greater part of this year, most of these organizations have nothing going on at the community level. No, they don't. Absolutely. I mean, you look at, uh, I think it was the uh, last financial statements I saw from Métis Nation of Alberta was 2016 that they have on their website. And if you go through there, uh, I don't know what page it is, 29, 17, something like that, that they actually, you know, money that they spent on cultural events is less than what they spent on office supplies. Eh, come on. Really? Like, do we need to look further? as to what is going wrong with these things? Well, it really goes to show you um, that the M&A in and of itself and these organizations are really just the, the keyboard warriors themselves. They hide in their offices behind their paperwork and their phones, and that's all they get paid to do, and that's all they do do. So when it comes down to where you and I live or, or what we saw up in Conklin or a few other communities this summer as we traveled across you know, the better part of Saskatchewan as well, that, uh, you know, they're not there. No, no, absolutely. I guess that's one of the other things we did this year, eh? We, we went on a couple of road trips. That was fun. Yeah, it was really good. We got to go down to Estevan, Saskatchewan, and, and see uh, some good Métis kin out there. Yeah, and we made it up to Batoche and, and a little further north from there. And it was, it was, they were fun trips. They were long, but they were fun. A lot of time driving in the pickup truck. I'm glad you were driving and made that all possible. But uh, it was good times. Well, I remember the, the trip to uh, Batoche and further north because my daughter, I actually had a work trip. And so my daughter came with me. We drove up to Fort St. John and, and Grand Prairie where I have to do my job. And then we swung all the way through Alberta to Batoche and up further north and then back to Edmonton and back to Calgary. And I think I worked it out. It was the same amount of travel as if we'd go from Calgary to the steps of the of the House of Parliament in Ottawa one way. And I'm like, man, for a 10-year-old, that was pretty, she, she did pretty good. Yeah, it was a lot of time in the, in the old Chevy Cadillac. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I can convince her to go back to Estevan on that trip. I, I'm not sure if she's willing to do that road trip again. <laughs> 
Well, we may not have made it to Parliament, but we made it to the Parliament of Métis Communities, and I think that's a more important trip. Absolutely. You know, and then I think one of the greatest things about doing this podcast that I, I've come to realize is just meeting some people and hearing the stories and, and getting to talk to people and, you know, getting feedback. We've gotten lots of feedback through emails and on our Facebook page and things like that. And I've been surprised that it's actually been all positive, but uh, it's been great to actually see people engaging and connecting with some of the, the topics, some of the ideas, some of the concepts. Um, so for me, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a huge learning experience. I mean, I've never, until, you know, December, or January of, of this year, I never had done anything related to a podcast. So it was, uh, <laughs> you and me either. That was never, never, wasn't on my, uh, you know, priority list. Hey, you know what we should do? I should be a podcast guy. <laughs> exactly. And it's been a lot of fun. I, I think that's been really cool is meeting people, taking the road trips, doing things like that. And, uh, Man, it's been quite a whirlwind. It has. It, it actually has been an exceptionally busy year. I can't believe all the things that uh, we've talked about, all the people that we've seen, uh, talked to in person, you know, and then talked online with, the feedback and uh, the different perspectives that we've been able to share, and you know, the information I've just been enlightened on over the last year has been, you know, pretty amazing. It has, and for myself, like I, I know we uh, we rant and rave like we know everything, but the truth is, is I've I've learned a lot about uh, Métis politics, Métis people, Métis communities, uh, Métis history, um, and so for me, this has been a huge learning curve, not just you know technically doing the podcast, but actually learning about Métis people and the histories and and uh, you know some of the struggles and things like that. I mean, there's the big ones that you hear about. But there's a lot of smaller stories out there that you don't hear about that that's kind of what really interests me. And, and I've I've gotten to know a few people this year. I've, I've made some friends that uh, I would have never normally had without the podcast. And uh, so for me, it's been phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. And and to hear the feedback from people of what they're, they're enjoying about the show. And I know you and I joked a lot about when we first started this off about what in the world would we talk to each other about you know for for five minutes (laughs) never less an hour Uh, and yet you know you you look at the amount of news and the amount of things that have come out over the last year that have affected Métis people it's actually been almost hard to keep up it it has and like you know I said this on a previous episode there's been so many conversations or topics that I just we just simply never even got to we had to drop because there was 10 other things to talk about um and so it's it's been a challenge to to kind of keep up the pace with this, and even moving into 2018, like I said tonight, I'm, I'm seeing like 20, 30 notifications about one topic. I'm like, oh my god! Um, but I want to, you know, I want to I want to try to dig into more some more of these ep- issues coming forward in 2018, and and try to get people on there talking about them, and and uh, it, it's going to be a challenge to keep up again. I think. It is. I think it's. There's a lot of things on the horizon that uh, have the ability to impact both positively and negatively. I think you still see, you know, a lot of the common thread that is uh, impacting Métis people is we have these huge organizations, and it's the point of what are they doing uh, on the the uh, the big scale, on the national scale. But when we get down to the community, and we go out in the communities. It's really the question of where are they and why aren't they doing stuff? And I don't see that changing in 2018. No, I don't. I don't. I, 
I don't I don't think those big organizations care to change. I don't think they have any desire to and there's no benefit to changing. I think they're, you know, full steam ahead, status quo, everything's fine. Um and then when you actually talk to people on the ground, it's a very different story. So I I uh I I think that we'll be able to maybe bring some more of those stories to to light this year, but uh this coming year, but I don't see a huge amount of change even in the way the government treats Métis people. I don't I don't expect any change really I, I not to be a pessimist but I don't see Carol and Bennett actually giving a crap about Métis people or what's going on in Métis world she doesn't now I don't see that changing no there's nothing the only yeah yeah I can't I just shake my head trying to think about it well, <laughs> what can I possibly even say to that that would be optimistic I'm um, you know not to, not to poo-poo everybody and rain on their moon spray as we roll in into the New Year's party celebrations coming up. But <laughs> I think if your your New Year's, New Year's resolution is going to be based on something the government's going to do for you, it's going to be pretty thin. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? Well, some optimistic news. They did dump INAC and totally dissolve it, and they're going to have two organizations. Now, that's got to be positive, right? I mean, that was some of big news this year. It is. There's nothing like doubling the bureaucracy, doubling the paychecks for the government, all coming out of the INAC funds. How could that be bad? Ah, exactly. I, I see nothing but huge benefits here for all Indigenous people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Despite what all Indigenous people say about this. <laughs> yeah, it's, all, it's just been nothing but cheery, rosy uh, comments about how awesome it's going to be. Absolutely. Nothing but a welcome change. Um Double the amount of bureaucrats ignoring Métis and, and Indigenous issues. Woohoo! Yeah, double the money, double the bureaucracy. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, what else did we do? What was your? Well, I guess what was your? Uh, do you even have? Could you even put a number one thing that you took away from the show this year, or that you we did this year on the show? Wow, number one thing. Well, the number one thing I think was that I learned the, the big difference coming into this was the difference of what I was seeing online and being talked about online and what was going on to all the communities. I mean, when you talk about that, we've traveled, you know, we've traveled basically from Northern Alberta to Southern Saskatchewan and, and just about everywhere in between. Uh, by the end of the year, my online frustration is at its all time high because I know it doesn't translate into communities. And that's the biggest thing I personally learned that benefited me from this podcast. I don't know if it's benefited you the same way, but that's the probably the biggest thing I learned this year. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. I think that's a huge, it's a huge realization, and I think it, it's it kind of slaps you in the face with reality. Um, and and I, what I what I found too, which was interesting, is that when you go from community to community to community, the actual issues that Métis people face are not that different from community to community to community. And the way things are all laid out, none of these communities can kind of, they don't converse with each other. So they don't know that they're not alone, that, you know, they're not the only ones facing these issues. Even though everybody's got a slightly different issue or two, in general, the main issues are basically the same. And I think that the lack of cohesiveness is really what's killing any type of forward movement we could make because they don't know that there's, you know, 10 other communities facing these same issues that if they all banded together, they would have a big, big, scary voice. Yeah, that's really what, what one of the things I learned is that we've got communities where there's no empowerment, um, you know, to have a community like Conklin, like we just talked about, stand up and take back that community control. 
you know, that, that was really enlightening to me this year. And I think that's some of the, the things we're trying to really, you know, as we, t- you know, I've been talking off air is that we've been trying to grapple with how to make that a bigger reality, get more people to have a bigger voice on the show in 2018, but also to how to work with our organization to empower more communities to take back that control. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I think for me, that's probably one of the number one takeaways. Well, it's the number one takeaway is just uh, how how important it is to get these communities their own autonomy and get them work with them to, to do whatever it takes to, to get their voices heard, but get them at the table and, um, and how much, how important that really is. I think that was the kind of the biggest takeaway for me for the whole year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, well, I, you know, we did, uh, it, it was interesting looking at some of the numbers from the show. Um, we hit over 14,000 downloads. So, you know, huge thanks to all Woo-hoo! our listeners. Shout out to all you listeners. This is, I believe this is episode 37, which is about 33 more than I thought we'd ever do. <laughs> uh, we, we had some awesome guests on. Uh, we've, we've got some awesome feedback. We got some great listeners, um, and we actually stretched, we reached almost all the way across the world. Uh, we've had listeners in Australia, uh, Vietnam for, for some reason, um, the UK, I, you know, places like that. So it's been really cool to see the, the demographics on that. Métis people everywhere and someone's lost in Vietnam. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm just trying to picture like, you know, Métis vacationing in Vietnam going, yeah, no, I, I think I should listen to these dudes' podcast while I'm sitting here on vacation. Like, uh, I don't know. I guess I should be honored. <laughs> I am. Everybody tunes in and listens to the show. I am completely in awe that 30-some uh, episodes later, we are still here. I am. I I I want to thank everybody for listening. I mean, that's that's been an amazing thing. Um the amount of people that have, have encouraged us to continue and told us how how much they appreciate the show and how much they like it. Uh, you know, I, I've even gotten feedback that, you know, there's people listening that are, you know, not Métis, but they, they enjoy the show and they enjoy learning about the Métis politics and the, you know, um, other Indigenous people, First Nations people that listen, uh, you know. So I want to I just say thank you to everybody for listening to these the two of us weirdos going on and on about Métis politics. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, 14,000 downloads. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. Hard to believe. Yeah. Uh, so I what is there anything in 2018 that you want to uh what any big topic or thing that you want to tackle in 2018 on the show, Jason? 2018, well, I think 2018 is going to probably be a pretty big year for us organizationally because uh, we're going to be kicking off some open houses and uh, an actual membership drive. Yeah. So I, I'm really looking forward to that. I know it's going to be an uphill struggle because people, uh, when we talk about membership, there's a lot of bad tastes in people's mouths, and rightfully so. And I think that's just some issues that we're going to have addressed, and that's kind of an uphill bridge. One of the things I'm most excited for is working towards uh, with our new community partners towards our camp to be able to get families out to do that again this summer. I am most excited about that because that's closest to home to me. But uh, those are the two big things I'm really uh, stoked for. Absolutely, and and actually we we have had a few people sign up on online at www.sagittoacamp.com, and the link will be in the show description. Um, but we've had a couple of people recently sign up to go to camp, so I'm, that's a good thing. Um, 
but I, I think one of the cool things that we're, we're going to have some announcements about camp coming out starting in January, uh, just different things we're going to offer at camp. So I'm, I'm really excited to bring those forward. And uh, for me on, on the show personally, um, I think the thing I'm looking most forward to is, is, is getting to know more people. Uh, like I said, doing more shows where we have maybe a guest or a panel of guests to also chime in about topics and, and things like that. But I really want to start digging into, like, you know, we're, we're doing this show about university students and the challenges they face. And I'd like mm-hmm. to start digging into things more like that, where what are the challenges that Métis people face? And and, and I guess to, to bring it to light so that those people that maybe think Métis identity is the number one issue we face, to make them realize that it's, it's actually not. Um, and, you know, so I think there's just a lot of topics that in the Métis world have not been discussed. And I would, I, I'm looking forward to discussing them with, with Métis people. Absolutely. And that's just one of the show wise. That's probably one of the big things I'm most excited for is we're getting some good community listenership and we're getting some good community engagement. And I'd like to be able to sit down and find a way not only to voice these problems and to make them people aware that we got bigger fish to fry than deciding where you're from and who's Métis and who's not. And we need got real problems and we need to find solutions to them. And I think the more we can get these things talked about and get them known, I think we can start to work towards some real impactful solutions in 2018. So by the end of 2018, we're not talking about the cartel and how they're still not doing anything because <laughs> they won't be. But we're going to be start talking about the problems that we aired and some of the solutions that we're trying to enact and come up with. And I'm really excited to, to be engaging people and, and hear the diversity of opinions and challenges that we're facing. Absolutely. I, I really hope for, for next year as well that we have a, we, we can look back and say, here's where we started and here's where we're at. And it actually is a different, different point. Um, and some changes were made. And like you said, I'm not worried about the cartel. I, I'm sure that they will steam forward like a machine that the machine that they are. Um, but I, I really think that we can, as communities, as, as Métis people, make changes that we want. Uh, you know, even on the community level, I know in Calgary, we've started the Calgary Métis Community Association and we're totally not focused on politics. We're focused on getting people to come out to events and trying to, trying to put together some, some exciting things. And, uh, we'll, I'm hoping to, you know, make some announcements about that coming in January, February as well. Uh, just some different things that we're going to be doing. So these are the things I think we can all take action on. And the more we engage in our communities, you know, we're going to make change. That's how change is made. Uh, sitting around waiting for the government and, and the cartel to do it. That's not how change is made. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Power to the people. That's right, man. Viva la revolution. <laughs> so You got it. Uh, I don't know if you had any other last uh, points about the, the year in review. I mean, anything that stands out that we didn't cover or... No, I was. That was my my big top ones. I, I uh, a lot of the interviews I thought were amazing. A lot of our guests, I th- you know, I really thank them for coming on the show. Uh, considering, you know, who are we? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> really, yeah. at, the, at the end of the day, we're nobody famous. So exactly. it, was, it was super super kind of most of these people who are extremely busy uh, to take time out for us. And uh, ultimately, we still wouldn't be here a whole year later. If uh, it wasn't for the people who were uh, downloading and listening to the show, that's right. And uh, you know, I'm happy that uh, that those guests were on. I, I've I've really enjoyed talking to people. I'm I'm not an extrovert. I'm a, I'm I'm very much an introvert. So you know, it's been a surprise for me how much I've enjoyed interviewing people and talking to people and hearing their stories. And 
What I've noticed is when I'm doing them, I, I actually tend to forget that we're recording a podcast in the middle of it, and I have to focus on you know making sure that everything's still going. So it's it's been fun that way. So thanks to everybody for being on the show and being part of our our Jig Is Up family and all the listeners for being part of the Jig Is Up you know family. And uh, I hope everybody keeps listening. Tell your friends, let's make a revolution start for the power to the communities in 2018. Absolutely. And the one last shout out I want to give is to uh, a huge thank you to an award-winning and internationally renowned indigenous artist, Dreesus, for his continued support of our show with the opening and closing music, which this year was uh, excerpts from his song, Long Live the People. If you didn't get his music for Christmas and you're really upset about that because your family doesn't love you, obviously. Um, clearly. You, clearly. You can go to iTunes. You can download his music. He he did some. He's done some phenomenal stuff in the past. He's he's coming out with new stuff all the time. I think he has a new album coming out shortly. Um, so you know, grab yourself. Do it. Make it a little gift to yourself. Just pamper yourself and go buy some of his music. Download it and off iTunes and listen to it. He's got some great songs. So I want to really thank him for that. And and if everybody can do that, that would be awesome. Uh, support your local indigenous artists, man. And uh, that's that's all I have for the year in review. Would anything else, Jason? Yeah. Me as well. I can't think of anything else to say. Well, that's a well, first. That's, that's, no, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, I've I've never known you not to have something to say. Oh wow. When can I just not talk? <laughs> that's it. I, there's going to be a snowstorm or something now. Well, I don't know. Mother Nature's already trying to freeze me out here, so. <laughs> Must be the turkey coma that you ran out of things to talk about. Yeah, it is. <laughs> slipping, in, slipping into a, to a grease deep-fried coma. <laughs> well, I think uh, for the last time this year, uh, for both Jason and I, I want to say thank you for everybody. And until next year, the jig is up. Long live the peak. Hey. My late cooking came from Kawaka to express. Real world, you woman probably popping loose there. It's poor man's if you wanna talk that language. A hundred clicks north of RG is the rest. You still gotta be a chief to wear a headdress. So take your shit off before you ruin it for the rest. You better listen to your heart, there's too many heads. And watch what you say, man, there's way too many feds.